Father in heaven, we come before you recognizing our need for you to be our teacher. No one's here to just learn human thoughts. We really are here at ASI because we want you to direct in every aspect. We pray that this meeting, this session would be no exception, that you would help turn our minds to things that would be most profitable for our ministry, for our families, for our churches, and for the world. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it really is grabbing the attention of the world. What I'm talking about this morning is the Adventist lifestyle, the Adventist way of life. And you'd almost have to have your head buried in the sand not to realize that something is happening in the media when it comes to the Seventh-day Adventist health message. We don't have to go back all that far in time. Just about seven years ago, six years ago, depending on how good your math is, in November 2005, National Geographic ran this cover story that attracted the attention not only of Seventh-day Adventists, but of many throughout the world. The title story, the cover story of this particular issue, The Secrets of Living Longer. And in that particular periodical, they focused on Seventh-day Adventists among the longest-lived people in the world. Here's if you even today went to their website. I just, again, went there yesterday. You'd still find this posted, The Secrets of Long Life, and listen to what they say. Residents of Okinawa, Sardinia, and Loma Linda, California, live longer, healthier lives than just about anyone else on Earth. What do they know that the rest of us don't? If you were to read that article or go on to uh, National Geographic's website today, you'd find things that sound quite familiar. But here, in a mainstream journal, speaking about Adventists and longevity, not smoking, eating a healthy plant-based diet, following an active lifestyle, and then keeping the Sabbath, a weekly day of rest that they emphasize in National Geographic as having special benefits in part, at least they attribute it, to the social connectedness that happens on that particular day. But something very interesting in this very article, those three populations that were highlighted, the Japanese in Okinawa, the Sardinians in the Mediterranean, and those Adventists in Loma Linda, a striking difference. For you see, if you look at the Sardinians and the Okinawans, what we find is that the younger generations are not living as healthfully as their elders. The unique population, in fact, in all of those groups are those in Loma Linda, where it seems they're not losing their longevity advantage. This is in the mainstream press. They're talking about Seventh-day Adventists and their health benefits. Well, the story doesn't end there. Dan Buettner, the author of that National Geographic article, later came out with a book, many of you have seen it, in 2008, The Blue Zones. It was subtitled, Lessons for Living Longer from the People Who Have Lived the Longest. Again, front and center in Buettner's book are Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, California. It didn't stop there, though, because U.S. News, on their website, when they picked up this theme of longevity, in looking for lifestyle habits that could help you live longer, 10 health habits that will help you live to 100, on that list they included what? Number eight, live like a Seventh-day Adventist. 
Well, what did Deborah Coates think of Seventh-day Adventists? Here's how she described our church. Americans who define themselves as Seventh-day Adventists have an average life expectancy of 89, about a decade longer than the average American. One of the basic tenets of the religion is that it's important to cherish the body that's on loan from God, which means no smoking, alcohol abuse, or overindulging in sweets. I wonder where she came up with that. Followers typically stick to a vegetarian diet based on fruits, vegetables, beans, and nuts and get plenty of exercise. Interesting description, isn't it? They're also very focused on family and community. The next year, 2010, PBS and outlets throughout the country carried this film, The Adventists. Many of you have seen it, whether you watched it on uh, nationwide television or whether you picked up a DVD copy. A non-Adventist filmmaker features Seventh-day Adventists in this documentary that he describes as speaking about abiding faith, cutting-edge medicine, and longer, healthier lives. Well, here we are, 2011, And the interest has not abated. But before we jump there, listen just to what some people said about Double Meyer's film. Though I have a few friends of the Adventist faith, I was unaware of the specifics of this religion. I was interested most in the emphasis this religion puts on both the spiritual and physical bodies in regards to total wellness. I'd recommend this film to friends and family of all faiths looking to learn more about this religion and its impact on living longer, healthier lives. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is in the spotlight today, and it's not because the Review and Herald is carrying articles. I mean, they are. It's not because of vibrant life. It's because the mainstream media has caught this enthusiasm about something about the Seventh-day Adventist lifestyle. And as I indicated just a moment ago, this interest is continuing to this day. What we find in 2011, here we are, April of 2011, and Newsweek magazine. Perhaps some of you saw this story that was picked up there. Newsweek was uh, interested also in the subject of longevity. And their article, we might think, was... uh, Uh, having some spiritual overtones because they call it how to live forever. Unfortunately, they didn't catch the broader message that God's entrusted to our church. They were just speaking about living longer on this earth. But they put together a graphic, a very interesting graphic, um, an infographic, uh, some would describe it as, and it kind of goes through the life cycle. That's what's being illustrated here. Some of you can see the profile of a a toddler there, and then as we go up in years. If you notice, uh, those of you that brought your field glasses or have extremely good vision, you'll see that the first one here is you are a female. Uh, Of course, we don't have too much choice in that matter. We have no choice, just to set the record straight. Uh, But um, this does have a bearing on longevity as far as scientific research. Ladies tend to live longer. Look at what the second factor. If you from infancy were to choose factors that would help you live longer, you would choose to be a woman, and you would choose, according to Newsweek magazine, to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Interesting, isn't it? Well, this may seem very complimentary. We may be feeling very good about the media coverage. But this lay interest continues to build, and I think there's some very significant implications that we want to look at today. 
some of you, no doubt, uh, regularly read Mental Floss. I'm not a regular reader, but uh, this is the magazine, if you don't know, in the online edition where knowledge junkies get their fix. This is uh, the most recent issue of Mental Floss. And there again, picking up on this story, want to live to 100, move to one of these five areas, these, these so-called blue zones. We were talking about three earlier. And uh, first on their list, uh, Loma Linda, California. And you see some of these familiar places that we've been speaking about. What's the common denominator? Here's what you need to do if you want to live a long time. Focus on your family more than work and other stresses. Stop or don't start smoking. Eat legumes. Avoid meat for the most part. Stay moderately active and stay socially involved. Now, obviously, this author realized that many people still don't know about Seventh-day Adventists and figured that might provoke some concerns about this Loma Linda population. In case you're curious as to why Loma Linda seems to have such a high rate over any other city in the United States, researchers think it's because the town is a big center for the Seventh-day Adventist church. Seventh-day Adventists tend to stick to a vegetarian diet, are consistent about having a day of rest every week, don't smoke, and avoid beverages with caffeine or alcohol. Now, you may think some of these things are, are fairly flattering, they're encouraging, but I would suggest to you what we're going to find is we really focus on what's happening in our culture, that we are at a unique time in history. And God is calling special attention not only to the Seventh-day Adventist church for our biblical beliefs that we often think of in terms of spiritual health, but for the physical health truths he's entrusted to us. One of the studies I didn't show to you, one of the sources, one of the lay secular sources that we didn't look at is this one that was published in 2004. And I think this is noteworthy because it has, I think, some stunning, if you will, implications for us as Seventh-day Adventists. The book is called God's Nutritionist, Pearls of Wisdom from Ellen G. White. This was not written by a Seventh-day Adventist. It was written by a Jewish health writer, Robert Cohen, and it was not published by an Adventist publisher. It was published by a secular publishing house. What were people saying about this book? I decided to go to Amazon.com and look at the very top review. You know, when books are out there, resources, people can review them, and then individuals uh, grade how helpful that particular review was. Here was the top review. This was from Joan Forrest. Yes, that's her real name, Amazon tells us. And she says, I'm an agnostic, and what? I loved this book. What does Joan have to say about it? I didn't know what to expect from this book. I was a little leery of it because I'm an agnostic and I don't take kindly to people who tell me what God thinks. How do they know? But I love this book. It's not at all preachy. Instead, it's full of common sense, wisdom, and reason. It has a large number of quotes from Ellen G. White, who was writing in the 1800s. Those of you uh, who know Adventist history know she wrote well beyond the 1800s but a lot of her writing was done in that era. It was interspersed. This book was, Cohen's book, with quotes from modern peer-reviewed medical journals. It's amazing how right on Ellen White is. You would think she was writing of our current sorry state of dietary affairs in many of these quotes. Obesity, heart disease, and cancers, and many other lifestyle-related diseases. The animal suffering caused by mass production of livestock. The health benefits of olive oil. I could go on and on. She was so prescient. She was an amazing woman. 
Who's writing this? There's an agnostic reading a Jewish writer's book. Now listen to what she says. If this isn't sobering, I don't know what is. Robert Cohen truly deserves thanks for bringing the writings of this wise woman to our attention. I hope people will take notice. How about Seventh-day Adventists? Should we perhaps take notice that the world is getting excited about the Adventist health message, they're getting excited about the writings of Ellen White, and they're not getting excited because anything you and I are doing. Well, hopefully some people are getting excited because of what we're doing, but the world is actually getting excited because what other secular people are telling about our message. Now, there is some more amazing confirmation. Those of you who've been here at ASI might realize that I'm told, I don't know, I, I didn't check this, but I'm told that ASI, these meetings, are the first site in the world for the DVD release of a particular health program that's been generating a lot of interest in the Adventist health message. Uh, Forks over knives. Are you aware that this is now out on DVD and it's available here? I'm told this is the first place that it's uh, been released. Now, some of you, uh, many of you have heard about this, uh, but if you haven't, let me just uh, give you a quick overview. This DVD, this film, which is shown in uh, theaters, it's a documentary film, never talks about Seventh-day Adventists. There's not one mention of it. Uh, I've watched the film, um, and I was paying attention for that. I could have missed it, but I don't think so. But it's speaking especially about two researchers, Dr. Colin Campbell, many of you know him of the China diet fame, and Caldwell Esselstyn, uh, Dr. Esselstyn of the Cleveland Clinic. These two individuals are kind of the uh, focal authorities in this documentary, but they also basically take you to Weimar and to Wildwood and to Yuchi Pines. Well, they really don't, but they could have because they actually journey with the patients, if you will, who are going through lifestyle change. They could have come to one of our lifestyle institutions. They could have featured one of our lifestyle physicians. But no, it's not done in that context. That may be good. It may not be. But the point is, this film is generating a lot of interest in the vegetarian diet. The emphasis is moving away from refined foods, moving away from animal products, and getting on a whole foods, plant-based diet. That's what the researchers in this film, non-Adventists, say repeatedly throughout this presentation. So I know some of you have already used this. You've been at movie theaters. You've been passing out Vibrant Life. They have a special issue that uh, goes along with this DVD. You could get this and show it in your church. Uh, There's options for you to use this. And as I think about this theme, the mainstream media, you know President Clinton, what uh, he has brought to attention with his own lifestyle changes in addressing his heart disease, Adventist health practices are now in the mainstream. They are basically being spotlighted by the secular media. And the question is, what implications does that have for us today? I think there's some key messages. First of all, the world today is ripe to hear the Seventh-day Adventist health message. And whether it's packaged as such, or whether it comes out in forks over knives, and they leave out the spiritual aspects and just package the physical health aspect, the world is ripe to hear the Adventist health message. And if ever the Adventist health message was an entering wedge, it is today. It is today. Well, I want to tell you there is something particularly remarkable to me about the media interest in this topic. Particularly remarkable. 
Because something else is happening in our culture that all of us, I think, are well aware of. As the world is looking, looking for things that increase their health and longevity, as our population ages and we don't want that clock to catch up with us, at the same time, American culture is becoming progressively more secular. We're moving away from a Christian worldview. This presents a very interesting cultural intersection for Seventh-day Adventists and the Seventh-day Adventist health message. Let me illustrate for, uh, this for you uh, somewhat briefly, but with enough detail that we can make the point very clear. Many of you would see one evidence of rising secularism in our world as this kind of in-your-face atheism. Are you tracking with me on this? This is a bus in Chicago, Illinois, my hometown. And on this particular bus, those of you who have extremely good vision can read what it says. It says, in the beginning, man created God. This is a movement going throughout the world of atheistic advertising. If you read USA Today this week, Monday, August the 1st, you would see another one of the atheistic slogans. It's right here, you can be good without God. And I find it very interesting how the author titled this article, As Atheists Know, You can be good without God. Let me just share with you something as a physician. We were trained in medical school to never say never. Are you aware of that? This is unwise. And in fact, it's unwise, especially to assert your knowledge of something, unless you have all knowledge. We're taught on standardized tests. If there's something that says something always does something or something never does something, that is almost always the wrong answer. But I've got to be careful. I said almost, you see. Almost always the wrong answer. It is amazing how confident atheists want to act in, as far as their knowledge that there is no God. So they know that you can be good without God. But let me just show you what's going on here. If you didn't see this article, they have this uh, very graphic illustration. You've seen this uh, evolutionary uh, illustration before. They've modified it now so that man is getting progressively better and now he's becoming good and helping other people. This is an evolutionary trait. In fact, Coyle, the author of that article in the USA Today, argues that secular morality, a morality that's derived apart from any instruction given by God or any kind of superior being, is actually superior to anything that God could give. That's the premise of his article. And here's what he says. Secular morality is what prevents ethically irrelevant matters. And then he gives some examples. Listen carefully. What we eat read or where, when we work, or whom we have sex with, from being grouped with matters of genuine moral concern like rape and child abuse. Now, some of you astute listeners and readers will say, well, isn't rape having something to do with this issue up here? Well, actually, he's been speaking in the article about how immoral he thinks God is because God speaks disapprovingly in his word of homosexuality. So that's what his uh, comments are directed at. Ethically irrelevant. Isn't that interesting? Our lifestyle, basically, he's saying, is ethically irrelevant. But isn't it ironic, in light of the Adventist health message, 
So you've got a stream in the world that's saying, look it, God is irrelevant, he doesn't even exist, or I'm not sure he exists, if you want to call yourself an agnostic. And at the same time, the world is interested in improving quality and quantity of life. Listen, think about this for a minute. Coyle and other secularists, what are they telling us? They're saying we don't need a God to tell us how to live. But they generally want to live this high-quality, long life. And in this regard, the secularists are having to acknowledge the example of Seventh-day Adventists. In fact, we would say the reason why Seventh-day Adventists have a longevity edge is only because God has spoken to us about something that some people are trying to tell us is basically irrelevant. You say, no, it's only ethically irrelevant. God raises lifestyle to an ethical level. And I would suggest to you that as Seventh-day Adventists, many of us have been negligent in pulling down the ethical underpinnings of the Seventh-day Adventist health message. Are any of you aware of what I'm talking about? Many of us in Seventh-day Adventism look at lifestyle choices as only options. When I'm telling you at the juncture we're at in Earth's history, the world is crying out for moral and ethical imperatives, and God has spoken clearly, and that's why we're here today. That's why we have the advantages that we have. Let me just give you another telling atheistic ad. If you can't see it clear enough, here it is. This is from Ottawa, Canada. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. At least they're a little bit more tentative, huh, you say. But what are the implications of this? Look at Coyle again, back to that USA Today article. Look what he was saying there. And really, isn't it better to be moral because you've worked it out yourself in conjunction with your group? The right thing to do, rather than because you want to propitiate a God or avoid punishment in the hereafter. What's going on here? What is the mindset? Here's another atheistic ad. As my ancestors are free from slavery, I am free from the slavery of religion. You see, atheistic arguments are based on a false premise, aren't they? A number of them. First is that the God of the Bible is going to deprive you of quality of life. Did you catch that? If you want to have a good quality life, you've got to forget about a God. That's not biblical. The God revealed in Scripture, they say, is immoral. And in part by the fact that God uh, eternally torments people. Is that biblical? No, Seventh-day Adventists, we know that. Are you starting to see? This is a, a message. Our doctrines converge in the area of the health message, whether you realize it or not. It's a powerful message. And the scriptures actually, what the atheists and agnostics and secularists tell us, they reveal a divine being who takes away our freedom. Listen, as a physician, to me, it was always the greatest joke, uh, since I've been a physician for many years, finished medicine back in the 84, uh, you know, in the days when smoking was a lot more widespread in our country. It was always interesting to me to see the tobacco companies bringing the argument of freedom, you know, smokers wanted to have their freedoms. 
And then you'd see your patients uh, in the middle of the winter outside the clinic smoking in the cold weather. You'd see the people rolled out in their wheelchairs outside the hospital in the winter, bundled up in blankets, shivering so they could have their cigarette. It was always ironic to me what people describe as freedom, isn't it? They were not free if they ran out of cigarettes at 2 in the morning. What did they do? No matter whether the advisories were saying, look it, don't go out, the roads are icy, what did they do? They went out and braved the roads because they were exerting their freedom. It's amazing, isn't it? The take-home points is the Adventist health message and the application of it in our lives answers the secular arguments that say God is interested in taking away our freedom and taking away our pleasure. Do you realize that in the medical research literature, there's a stunning correlation between lifestyle factors that increase our lifespan and those that increase our quality of life? Many of you are health educators, you're health professionals, or you've been to health seminars. You've heard of the Alameda County Health Study. Is that a familiar study to some of you? I see a few heads nodding. Uh, Dr. Breslow, the author of that study, some years ago, both Dr. Breslow and I were speakers at the National Wellness Conference at the University of Wisconsin. Now, uh, Dr. Breslow was one of those keynote speakers that got top billing, and I was one of those you know, little breakout speakers. I'm not uh, on the, the level with Dr. Breslow. But Breslow uh, and I had a chance to visit personally. I also heard his presentation, and he told the fascinating background about that study because it was, it was designed in the 60s. The data was first published in 1970 in the journal Preventive Medicine. And, and Breslow basically had this revolutionary idea that he could look at people's lifestyle and could determine how long they would live. It was so revolutionary that they initially wouldn't fund the study. Finally, the study was funded. And uh, that's where they came out with these seven lifestyle habits, the Alameda Seven, you know, not smoking, little or no use of alcohol, uh, being your ideal weight, regular exercise, eating breakfast, not snacking. You're familiar with that list. What's so interesting, though, is they continued that study. As far as I know, it's still running. And what they found over time is that not only did those lifestyle factors contribute to longevity, they contributed to quality of life. And if you wanted the best predictors of how to live a disability-free life, what kind of things would you do? You'd do all the things that help you live longer. What the simple point is, the medical research literature, and that's just one example, is showing us you don't have to choose between quality of life and quantity of life. God is actually interested in the lifestyle he's given us in his word and that Ellen White has highlighted through the gift of prophecy is actually a cutting-edge lifestyle for today. It gives us the optimal lifestyle to enjoy the greatest of life's pleasures. Now, from a spiritual perspective, we would even have a difference of opinion on what life's greatest pleasures are. But the point is, God is not taking away our freedom. He's increasing our freedom. The health message, the another aspect of it, is our involvement in health ministry. You see, the arguments that the secularists have is, first of all, God is constraining our freedom. He's ruining the quality of our life. If we just forgot about God, we can enjoy life a whole lot more. And what the Adventist lifestyle message is telling us, as we practice it ourselves, that that is untrue. And the world is recognizing it. They're saying, how come these people, you know, at, at an unusual rate, are living into their 90s or 100s? It doesn't mean that some of us don't have genes that will claim our lives at a very early age. 
um, particularly myself, the person in my family I most resemble died at 30 from cancer. Now, if I died next year, some of you are very astute and you recognize that I'm a bit over 30. I don't know why people always laugh when I say that. Okay. But, yes, I, I'm quite a bit over 30. But if I died next year, many people would be, be saying, if I cancer claim my life, you'd be saying what? Well, Dr. DeRose, I mean, he seemed to be so conscientious. And look it, he died with cancer. It doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you follow. But I've lived quite a bit longer, decades longer, than that relative that I may most genetically resemble, if my looks are any indication of my genetics. And so we have this faulty concept of how we often make comparisons. But the point I'm simply making is not only did the health message come down to our own lives, and we can't judge that health message by how long someone lived who didn't follow it or a single person who followed it and died early. Are you following along here? But there's another very important aspect to our health message that is critical at the juncture we're at in Earth's history. And this critical aspect of the health message, it is not just about me. It's not just about you. The health message specifically calls us to be involved in health ministry. And when we're involved in health ministry, this answers another of the arguments that the secularist brings to the table about God. The secularist says God is immoral. He doesn't care. He does things that are wrong. And what can the secularist say when the people in the community that are making the most positive difference are people that believe in God and they're Seventh-day Adventists? What does that do? Do you see that this message, this health message, is poised to have a special role in the times in which we live? So the full Adventist health message is not only a message that includes teaching, it includes healing, And it's a manifestation to the doubting world of the morality of Christ and Christians. Look at some inspired statements with me, and then we'll uh, look at some other interesting data. God has his workmen in every age. The call of the hour is answered by the coming of the, we would say today, man or woman. Thus, when the divine voice cries, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The response will come, here am I, send me. We all have a personal call, don't we? And I would suggest to you, biblically, biblically, every one of us is called to health ministry. And I want to really make this point here. You may be here because you already catch this vision. And maybe we should be speaking to people who aren't here. But one of the great problems I have is that many people say, Dr. DeRose, it's easy for you to speak about health ministry. You are a physician. We expect you to be involved in health ministry. But the biblical mandate is for every one of us to be involved in health ministry. Sometimes I spend a whole couple hours on this at Weimar College with my students going through it or more. But let me just give you a few passages that highlight this point. It's a biblical mandate. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, God is speaking to the church in general. This is what we call a general epistle. Peter's writing. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. A few verses earlier, Peter said, you, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be what? A holy priesthood. Let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room 
don't raise your hands, are called to be priests. If I'd asked you to raise your hands, they should all go up, right? Every one of us is called to be a priest. What does the priesthood include? I mean, if you're called to be something, you would like to see a job description, right? If someone's calling you to do something, if someone says, we've chosen you to take a certain position in the church, wouldn't it be good to know what that position included, to have a job description? Would that be a good thing? What does the job description of a priest include? Well, I would suggest to you that every aspect of the priesthood was designed to reveal the character of Christ. You read the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the great high priest. He's the one that the priesthood pointed to. And those priestly roles all fill an evangelistic function. So here at ASI, as we speak about sharing Christ in the marketplace, sharing him in your sphere of influence, that evangelistic focus is the work of the priest. But specifically, what all was included? At a minimum, I'd like to tell you that all three of these aspects of the priesthood were included in every call to the priesthood. And we'll see that it's included to every New Testament believer. Spiritual ministry of preaching teaching, and then healing or medical arts. You see, Jesus modeled that same approach, didn't he? We have it in Matthew 4 and in Matthew 9. In fact, so powerful is that succinct description of Jesus' ministry, it's almost duplicated in Matthew 9. It says that Jesus was what? What three things was Jesus doing in his ministry? He was teaching, he was preaching, and what else was he doing? He was healing. This threefold work. Have you ever thought about this? Every calling, every commissioning in the New Testament includes this threefold work of teaching, preaching, and healing. It's as if God is saying, when I call my people to represent the work of Jesus, I'm giving them these three calls at a minimum. If you wanted to study it out, you could look in Matthew 10. When the 12 apostles were sent out, they were to include teaching, preaching, and healing in their ministry. It was true of the 70. You can read about that in Luke 10 and in other places. And the Great Commission. Often the Great Commission we read where? Matthew 28. Matthew 28, you don't find a healing dimension to the Great Commission. But in Mark 16, you do. Healing was included with teaching and preaching. And every believer is included in that Great Commission Here's how Ellen White put it. In the trust given to the first disciples, every believer has a share. Each one is to be an executor of the Savior's will. Each one has been given sacred truth to give to the earnest seeker. Every believer is to be a laborer together with God. This great commission has been given to each one of us. It includes teaching, preaching, and healing. Every one of us is called in that priestly ministry. Councils on Health put it this way, we have come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. The world is a lazar house filled with victims of both physical and spiritual disease. Everywhere, people are perishing for lack of a knowledge of the truths that have been entrusted to us. The members of the church are in need of an awakening that they may realize their responsibility to impart these truths. What do we need? An awakening. By the way, I just want to put you all at ease because we're speaking about waking up. Some of you may be a bit drowsy, but one of the, I, I always try to let my audiences know I represent Weimar. Weimar has the New Start program. Do any of you know what the R in New Start stands for? Rest. Rest. So if you're sleeping through one of my presentations, instead of revealing that you're not 
catching the deep implications of what I'm sharing, I will say you're just on the cutting edge. You're so excited about what I'm sharing that you're putting it into practice already. But in spite of that, we are called to wake up. And we're called to wake up because we have a responsibility to do what? Impart these truths. You know, I've got to tell you the truth. You know, back in the 80s, when I started practicing medicine, I mean, I got into trouble because I was doing some radical stuff. I was in residency, and I put my patients on really extreme diets, like a vegan diet. I mean, this was really extreme. And the dietitians would come and talk with me, and, you know, what's going on here? You know, what are we going to give these people to eat? And we wouldn't give them sleeping pills at night. We'd give them natural therapies. And this was pretty wild stuff back then. But, you know, now today, you would think that everyone knows about this. You know, it's out there. I, uh, forks over knives. I mean, it's in the movie theaters. But you know what? The average person I see in my clinic, the average patient that comes to Weimar, the average person I meet in public presentations, this is still like a revelation to them. Don't say, well, it's out there in the mainstream media. What can I tell anyone? No, they need your witness. And by the way, it's not just the information that people need. They need the practical witness of your lifestyle. You know, a lot of us say, well, it doesn't really matter how I live my life because no one sees what I'm doing at home. (laughs) You know, I'll tell you something. Um, I wouldn't be here today if the Lord hadn't convicted me early in my experience as a Seventh-day Adventist about the value of the health message. Some of you know my story, but I was not raised a Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, I was raised in a Catholic home. I was an agnostic by the time I was in college. And at a secular college, an Adventist minister had a crazy idea to hold a non-credit class at that college uh, on Bible prophecy. That was my introduction to the Adventist church. About a year later, I was baptized, and I was baptized by a pastor who obviously uh, was unfit for his call. You'd be shocked to learn this, but I was baptized as Seventh-day Adventist wanting absolutely nothing to do with Ellen White. I I did not want to read anything of hers. I just wanted to study the Bible and uh, did not want some woman telling me what to do. But, you know, the Lord had his way of getting me to open those books. And when I started reading them and seeing how the message spoke to my heart, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And uh, I don't think I was in the church much more than a year before I was reading. I don't know why people gave me these particular books. But, yeah, I'd, I'd read Great Controversy and Desire of Ages. But I also had Councils on Diet and Foods. Some people later told me that book never should have been written. Have you ever heard that one? I'm glad it was written. Um, It it was a compilation, but uh, I was raised in an Italian home. Three of my uh, grandparents were born in Italy, and uh, I never knew a vegetarian growing up. So as I started reading through some of this stuff, uh, this was um, not, I, I didn't just start leaping for joy as I opened up the Ministry of Healing and Councils on Diet and Foods. This was not the, the lifestyle message we typically like to hear. Are, are you aware of the human dynamic? We take these quizzes about how our lifestyle is, and we all want what? When you take a quiz, how do you want to do? You want to do well. 
You want to say, see, I knew I was following a healthy lifestyle. I mean, this makes me, I'm going to live to be 120, that study showed me. I filled it all out just right. This is great. Actually, what we should want is we should want the things that show us where we're falling short. You see? You know, who are your best friends? Are your best friends the ones who always tell you how great you are? Or are they the ones that love you enough that they risk being misunderstood and sometimes speak to you about difficult things. That's how the Holy Spirit works, isn't it? And that's what the Holy Spirit did in my life. And uh, so, by God's grace, I started making changes in my lifestyle. I wasn't a sickly person. I mean, I didn't think that. But I had a lot of digestive problems. They all went away within a year or so. Um, And here I thought God was taking away my freedom. You see, I thought God was taking enjoyment out of my life. But what was he doing? He was giving me more enjoyment. He was giving me more freedom. I used to miss school or miss work because of intestinal problems. Well, that stopped happening. I was more free, even though my choices were being constrained by God's counsel and by his Holy Spirit. So this amazing thing, God has actually called us to live this way. And so after I became a physician was in my residency at Kettering. I was praying about where the Lord wanted me to go to church. He sent me this small, obscure little church. No other physicians or residents were there from Kettering. And um, I was just there a short time when a uh, church member came up to me and said, we've been watching you eat at potluck. And we need you to give a health seminar for our church. And uh, I thought I was somewhat, you know, wise at that time, even though I was still pretty young. And I said, I really appreciate that, but I wouldn't give a health seminar here in the church unless the whole church wanted it. And besides, you're talking about nutrition. I'm not a cook. I wouldn't want to give a nutrition lecture unless there were people to cook for me. So you see, I was off the hook. For a few minutes. Because then the, then the pastor comes to me with three ladies. And the pastor says, yes, we really need this seminar here at our church. And here are the three ladies to do the cooking. Okay, so I signed up. Some of you, I know, are physicians here. And it starts to dawn on me. I've never given a health lecture in a church. I don't, there's no PowerPoint presentations. PowerPoint didn't exist. And... Uh, So, I'm on a cardiology rotation. It's very busy. There's lots of patients. I have no time to prepare anything. What was I thinking? Why did I say I would do this? So, I got on the phone, and I said, Pastor, you you know this seminar we've been talking about? He says, David, yes, we are so excited about it. The announcements are all up throughout the whole community. It's in the news. I was stuck. I was stuck. And... And the Lord did something remarkable that has never, hap- never happened to me before or since. I started praying. I said, Lord, you need to help me. How can I give a health seminar? I've never given one before. I didn't have you know, all these prepackaged things. And something amazing happened with that cardiology service where I was working. So we're taking care of all these heart patients. Well, they all start getting well. And nobody has any heart problems. And the, I mean, at least that were being admitted to the group that I was working with. And we had, like, no patients. So I actually had time to prepare each of those uh, presentations. 
Now, I tell you that story because most of us, I've found, even though we may realize that we have truth, we have various reasons why we're not sharing that truth. For most of us, it's because we're too busy. I mean, God has rebuked me more than once about being too busy. Now, I shouldn't tell you this in an audience like this, but I will anyway, because some of you need to hear it. But um, as a young Adventist, I was asked to preach one Sabbath in church. I don't think I'd ever preached before. And uh, I knew that was impossible. I had no time to prepare to preach, so I told the pastor I couldn't do it. Well, I went to church that Sabbath. And the Lord is so gracious, I have no recollection of what actually happened that morning. The only thing I remember, it was like the worst Sabbath I ever experienced. I don't know who spoke. I don't know if no one spoke. I don't know what it was. And I was thinking, this was terrible. This was just a terrible Sabbath. What was happening in this service? And the Lord said, yes, it was a terrible Sabbath because you were supposed to preach and you didn't do it. I tell you stories like that because God is calling us to impart the truths of the health message. And he says we need to be awakened. You see, this word looks like it's sleeping, but it's really there. The word is awakening. It's dawning, that's right. And I hope this is dawning on some of you, that you need to arise to this call that we have as church church members. Those who've been enlightened to the truth are to be light bearers to the world. To hide our light at this time is to make a terrible mistake, The message to God's people today is, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. We have unparalleled opportunities today. The world is ripe to hear the Adventist health message. It's coming out in mainstream media, and God is telling us we've come to a time when every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work. The world is a lazar house filled with victims of both physical and spiritual disease. I want to share with you some data about how we're doing as Seventh-day Adventists when it comes to our own personal practice, because this is the foundation. But before we do, I would invite some dialogue at this point. Um, we've been talking some philosophically about the Adventist health message in our call individually, and I'm wondering if there's anyone here either who this has resonated with or who I've confused or who has something they want to share. I know we don't have mics for the audience, so um, uh, and Arden here is making grimaces because this is being recorded. So, but if you have a succinct point or a comment that could be expressed in 10 or 15 seconds or maybe slightly more... Um, I'm looking for some dialogue because this can help direct us here. Brother, what is on your mind? Um, as you were speaking, the... Give you, you two speaking, mics. Give you two mics. No, just go ahead. Go the, for it. Uh, the thought came to me uh, about the rich young ruler mm-hmm. and how he had the facts and details down for the Christian life and how Christ said, you need essentially you need the spirit of this thing and it hit me that all these people seeing the adventist life they they want to live where the adventists are living they think you know proximity effect or whatever you know you do these five things and you're going to have magic but it misses like you said the the whole beauty of the thing is not the health that's that's an added benefit but that's No, I appreciate your point. So so let's kind of build on that just for a moment. The rich young ruler had all the doctrines down, he thought, didn't he? 
but he didn't have the experience, right? He wasn't surrendered. And, you know, I'll tell you something interesting, and I know this is a little bit uh, tangential to the point, but I think it's relevant. Most of us commend ourselves for where we feel we're doing well. We can compare ourselves with the secular world and say how much better we're doing. We may even feel like we can compare ourselves with our brothers and sisters and feel like we're doing better. After all, you're coming to a health seminar right now. You can look around and see who's not here. But, you know, the Apostle Paul told us that those of us that compare ourselves among ourselves are what? We're not wise. The greatest danger that we have is looking to some source of standard other than Jesus himself, right? And Jesus is asking us really to come to him. The health message is a call to come into intimate relationship with him. And if we were to take the time this morning, we could demonstrate that the health message is actually founded on righteousness by faith. The health message was never designed to give us any feeling of superiority above anyone else. God's counsel is always grounded in what he's done for us. You see? And so the interesting thing about it is as we look at the health message for every one of us, we are all falling short in some area of God's complete health message. All of us. And as a result, the health message as it's fully proclaimed drives us to the foot of the cross, doesn't it? I realize my need of a Savior. I realize that I fall short. And at the same time, though... The health message shows God's loving concern for my life. That he's willing to show me the happiest and the healthiest way to live and the way to empower my ministry. So all these dimensions come together. Any other thoughts? Okay, right up here. Praise the Lord. This brother is asking, what practical thing can the average member of the church do? You don't have an MD or an RN or an MPH or any other medical letters after your name. Let me tell you some exciting things right here. I see uh, in our audience uh, uh, Barbara watson Pye. Barbara is the one who uh, had the vision, the Lord gave her the vision for the Stepfast program, a DVD-based program. She was sharing about it yesterday. I know some of you have used that. There, we have today in the Adventist Church many programs like that. Uh, Dr. Nedley has the Depression Recovery Program, the CHIP program. I know many of you are involved with CHIP. Uh, the Michigan Conference, the, the Griffins have put together uh, a number of programs that you can, they're DVD-based programs that you can use in your community, you can use with your churches. So we have resources like that today, and they're here, they're represented. I mean, Chip has a booth here, Dr. Nedley has a booth, he was presenting yesterday, uh, Barbara uh, Pye has a, a booth, and so there's a lot of, and there's other resources, perhaps some of you can help me. What other things have you used in your churches like this, prepackaged programs? Vivian? Okay, get near the mic. Uh, well, as some of you heard me last night mention that I... I conduct a small group in my home and I gave my email address I'd be glad to share with you the materials that I use these folks are experts and we have DVDs available, materials that are available uh, that we laymen who are not professional can use and share with people and keep learning and learning and learning uh, So, but my, my email is rates, R-A-I-T-Z at windstream, that's all one word, W-I-N-D-S-T-R-E-A-M, windstream.net. Uh, 
And if you haven't written that down, you can stop by the CHIP booth, booth 727. They can give you my email address. I will send you a list of the resources that I have found are very, very helpful for laymen to use. You know, another very helpful resource as, as we're talking that is worth it, many of you know uh, ShareHim. And ShareHim has an online sewing resource catalog. Are some of you, I haven't been there in a while. Are some of you familiar with this? They call it the Sewing Resource Catalog. And they have many of these, I mean, they have dozens of ministries, Adventist ministries that have programs that you can use in your church. Many of them are health-related programs. Some are family life. There's stress management. There's a variety of things there. They have short video clips. The developers of the programs are interviewed, and they have other resources there. So it's another excellent resource. So if you go, what is it, sharehim.org, I think, and if you've got questions about their resources, they've, they've got a booth here as well. I see some other hands. Okay, let me tell you about the other... Let me, no, let me repeat, and then we'll let you go. Uh, NewStartClub.com, that's a resource we have at Weimar. Those are free uh, resources that you can download, you can use, you can watch. Uh, we also have uh, banners that you can use if you're doing like a health expo. We uh, have developed those. You can, you can borrow them and use them in your church and then send them back. Uh, other point here. Okay, um, here's the question, and, and let me try to, try to bring this back into the theme of what we're talking about. What um, the comment is, is what we now understand today, and we've known this for years, but we're understanding the science behind it more fully, is it is not just your genetics. There's a science called epigenetics. We have the ability by our lifestyle, by our environment, to turn genes on and off. And if you think about it, if you know much about genetics, you have the same genetics in every cell of your body. Why does your nose look like a nose and not like your finger? It's because of the local influences that cause your finger to develop as a finger and your nose to develop as a nose. But they have the same genetic information in each of those cells. So certain cells are turned on and turned off in certain regions of your body to do what they need to do. And that's part of the developmental process. Well, after we're full, fully matured, after we're adults, we can still turn genes on and off. One of the exciting studies about this, I think it was 2006 that Dr. Ornish published this. Uh, Dean Ornish, some of you know his name, in 1990, he published the first study showing that you could reverse blockages in coronary artery disease with lifestyle alone. Basically, what Dr. Ornish did, and I hate to tell you this if you're not aware of what he did, but he actually took the Adventist lifestyle, took out the Adventist spiritual component, put in Eastern mysticism, and did the uh, research work that shows that this can reverse coronary artery disease. Um, he wasn't doing that uh, maliciously. He was doing it uh, because he's not a Seventh-day Adventist or a Christian. And uh, so what Ornish did is he comes out with this study showing you can reverse blockages in coronary artery disease. Esselstyn, who's in the Forks Over Knives, did something similar uh, with his patient population. But what Ornish has done more recently, and by the way, in his original work, he allowed people to use a little bit of skim milk protein, a little bit of egg whites, 
His work that he's doing now is a totally vegetarian diet, a vegan diet. And um, what he's working with is prostate cancer. He's actually shown that in men with prostate cancer, early prostate cancer, you can turn back the clock on prostate cancer by actual genetic measurements. The genes, the cancer genes are being turned off by the lifestyle changes like regular exercise, stress management, and uh, vegetarian diet. So it's very powerful information. Brother, I know you're anxious to make a point here, so go for it. Right. Okay, let me, I, I know you could wax eloquent for quite a while, but because they're recording it and they, we can't hear you on the tape, let me kind of paraphrase and uh, we'll also give some contact information for you. I'm excited about this vision that you and many others are catching. This is not just as preaching. Sharing the gospel is not the domain of only the minister. It is the same with health ministry. Health ministry is not the domain of only the health professional. It's true, God gives some people special talents in certain areas where they may focus, especially focus their life work. But that doesn't depreciate the call that every one of us has. So you're doing the Daniel Challenge. You're getting onto college campuses. I mean, it's extremely exciting work. Of course, being the product of secular college campus evangelism, you won't get me saying anything but amen to that. But how can someone get more information from you? Do you have a website, a booth, anything? Okay, booth 719. What is your ministry called? It's called the Beehive. The Beehive, okay. Oh, okay. Amen. Okay, very good. Some other comments here. We have a sister here and then one over here. Go ahead. Okay, I want to just emphasize, this is a critical point, what what our sister is sharing for us, and that is, really, um, you don't have to wait 
until you have a great level of expertise to share what you know. People are longing to... You may think you don't know much, but just the light that you have from the Bible is powerful, the light that we have in the spirit of prophecy. You don't have to know all the reasons to share it. One more point, then I want to show you some data that's really important. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Yeah, Don Hall and Wellsource. They have a booth here, too. Okay, and Creation Health from Florida Hospital. Thank you. Yes, some other excellent resources. How are we doing? We're talking about all these opportunities. We're talking about how the world is looking to Seventh-day Adventists. We've been talking about some practical things, trying to put you in touch with some resources that you can use. How are we doing? How are we relating to the Adventist lifestyle? How is your church relating to it? Now, one of my premises is, if you haven't picked up on it, the health message is not something that's intrinsically divisive or divisive, however you want to say the word. What happens uh, in many of our churches, the health message has been left aside by the church. Now, I, I know whereof I speak. Not only am I a physician, I've pastored as well. I've been in ministerial meetings. I know what's happening in our churches. You're out there in your own church. What's happened is, I'm going to tell you from my perspective, we have largely, in most of our Adventist churches, you may all be exceptions, but most of our Adventist churches have neglected to implement the health message in a powerful way in their church. No one has to read very far to recognize that we have a call, a mandate, to be involved in health ministry. So if the pastor and the church board and the church leadership is not taking hold of this call, what happens? You would think it would die, but it doesn't, because there's too many people that are reading the council. What ends up happening is the most radical people in the church often embrace it. And they see that nothing's happening in the church, so they start, they start doing all kinds of, quote, health stuff. And... Many churches have been divided over the health message, and then the church comes to the crazy conclusion that we're not going to do anything with health because it divides the church. Do you see the problem with this? The problem is those of you that are catching the vision, even if you don't think you have the resources, you're the one, if you're, if you're concerned you don't have the resources, then you're probably the most applicable person to grab the message and run. You see, because you're not going to overstate your credentials. You're not going to say, well, I just took the one-week online naturopathy course, and I can you know, now cure everyone in the community. <laughs> By the way, there's some ex excellent naturopathic schools that are four-year training, so I don't have anything against naturopathy. Uh, rightly trained. How are we relating to the Adventist lifestyle? Second of all, what do we think of God's health message? And the way you really find out is where our lifestyle really is at, and how do we relate to the writings of Ellen White. You know, we have a unique window on the Seventh-day Adventist church on us from the Adventist health study. Uh, when this data first started coming out from the newest Adventist health study, AHS-2, uh, this was some of the first data that was compiled uh, of over 60,000 individuals. And I want to give you just some glimpse as to what we're seeing as to where we stand as Seventh-day Adventists today. Um, first of all, just let's look at something as basic as eating fruit. I mean, th this data is really sobering to me. I mean, if you look at this here, there's something like 30% of the Adventist church, one-third, 
They're only eating one or fewer servings of fruit every day. And you thought we, you know, we've got it all together. We don't. I mean, we should all be in this range here. And that's less than half of us. What about this? Vegetables. It's even worse. If you just look at the cut point of more than two servings, two or more servings a day, not even half of us as Seventh-day Adventists. Now, I know you're a unique group here. You're here at ASI. You're here in a health presentation. But this is where our church is at. I mean, we're not eating. Well, we say, what are you eating then? If you're not eating fruits and vegetables, well, you say Adventists are vegetarians. That's how all these uh, lay sources are speaking about us. But look. The amount of people that never eat meat in the Adventist church are the minority. Minority. Now, some of you, you might say, well, boy, I don't feel so bad now um, because I'm not quite there yet. You know, God works with us exactly where we're at. This is, this is not designed, again, to be a presentation that is condemning you personally. But why is God giving us light on healthful living? Is it to drive you into the dirt? Is it to make you feel... A lack of freedom? Is it to take enjoyment out of your life? Why is he giving us this message? It's to bless you, right? And so it's kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, there's many illustrations of this, but it's like someone's running, you know, trying to give you a bag of gold, and you're trying to run away from them. You know, like, what, are they going to hit me with that thing or what? So you look here. We're not doing real well when it comes to the meat message. How about cheese? Now, I know this always awakens a lot of dialogue in Adventist audiences, but um, many years ago, when communism had just fallen in Eastern Europe, my wife and I, my wife is also a physician, were invited to come to Eastern Europe and give a series of health lectures. One of the countries we were in was uh, what was then Czechoslovakia. Today it's the Czech and Slovak Republics. And we were amazed because there was a special request that came to us from the coordinator of these health meetings. He said, our people are very interested in the science about cheese. I guess maybe they'd been reading something about spirit of prophecy and cheese. I don't know what their interests were. But at that time, those people had very little to eat. And cheese was one of the staples of their diet. And we were like amazed. That they, and the implication was, and we dialogued a little bit about it, was that this was really not the healthiest lifestyle practice. So we did some very serious research on cheese. And cheese, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's one of the scariest foods we have in the American diet. Cheese is high in sodium, calculated to raise your blood pressure, increase swelling, edema. It is high in saturated fat. Saturated fat is one of the fats that lay the roots of type 2 diabetes. It raises cholesterol. I mean, it's bad stuff. The story gets worse, though. Do you understand? We talked a little bit, touched a little bit on on evolution, if you will. I I didn't use that word, but atheism and evolution and secularism, they're kind of all melded together. This idea of survival of the fittest is not a total stretch, I mean, there is what we call microevolution. We don't want to get into a talk on creation and evolution. Uh, The biblical view is uh, is scientifically sound. It's intellectually compelling. I give whole seminars on it. That's not the subject. But I will tell you, there is battles on the earth. You see it in nature for organisms to carve out their turf. You see a, a lion going after its prey, right? 
How do microorganisms carve out their turf? Have you ever thought about this? How do bacteria make sure other bacteria don't encroach on their territory? How do molds and fungi do that? They engage in chemical warfare. Really? That's where antibiotics come from. Penicillin came from the penicillium mold. That mold was producing compounds that were suppressing the growth of other microorganisms. Are you aware of what cheese is? Cheese is basically milk protein that has been worked upon by microorganisms that produce a whole array of chemicals. Some of those chemicals are carcinogens. Other things in cheese, like tyramine, raises blood pressure. I mean, listen, I'm telling you all this as someone who used to basically, I mean, cheese was always on the table at our house. You know, in an Italian family, you always had cheese around. So this was a huge issue for me in my experience. But when I started looking at the science, you can see that God wasn't trying to take something away that I grew up liking in an Italian home. What was he doing? He was trying to bless me and help me. And so here is Seventh-day Adventists. We often say, and you look at the data here, the average Seventh-day Adventist, and by the way, are you all aware that in Ministry of Healing and Councils on Diet and Foods, Ellen White said that cheese was what? Do you know what the phrase she used? Holy, unfit for food. Now, there's something really interesting that, that has happened here, and, and this could get me into a little bit of trouble, but we use an interesting, uh, you might call hermeneutic, a way of approaching Ellen White's writings, and I call it reverse translation. And it works like this. Here's the story. Ellen White wrote Ministry of Healing in what language? Do any of you know? English. English, that's right. And uh, she made those strong statements against cheese. When she obviously was not talking about fresh, unfermented cheese, like uh, ricotta cheese or cream cheese or cottage cheese. Uh, she was talking about, you know, the common ripened cheeses. When they translated into German, the German translators um, said, well, you know, people will get the wrong idea. Europeans eat these unripened cheeses. I don't know the whole history of it. I have dialogue with... with um, some individuals, uh, including uh, someone at the White Estate, not necessarily there presently. I'm not going to you know, talk about individuals. And they actually confirm what I'm, what I'm sharing with you um, from my research. They, when they translated into German, the words that they used in the German language, if you were to translate it back in the English, it would be translated strong, sharp cheese. Those were the adjectives that they used. Uh, was Ellen White, did she speak German? No. She said, you translate it, you know, with that intent. They use those words. Well, some people reverse translated that and put a footnote into Councils on Diet and Foods where it says, in the German edition, this was translated strong, sharp cheese. So Adventists read that, and they say, well, I don't like strong, sharp cheese. By the way, strong, sharp cheese is basically what you call any cheese that you don't like. What I'm trying to help you see is not that I, I... Listen, I am on... My role in life is as an educator. I don't show up at church potlucks and start throwing food on the floor. And, and Really? Okay? And that's not our job either. But I'm trying to say the counsel God gave... Don't try to minimize the counsel. If you're not there yet and the Lord's not convicting you, it's okay. 
I, if, you're, if you go out and have a cheese pizza and I walk in and I see you eating, I'm going to say, good to see you, my brother. And I, you know, we're all at different points in our walk. But don't try to justify your habits and, re, and explain away the counsel just because God hasn't brought you there yet. Do you see? It's okay. God works with us where we're at. You're not accepted because of how closely you're following the health message. You're accepted because of Jesus. We're always going to fall short. Well, that's another story. Don't take that too far, okay? Don't take that too far. But but, but the, the point is, the point is, right now, each of us is not where we should be. So we're not here to point fingers, but to say, look at the council. And we're missing something as Seventh-day Adventists. Um, eggs, Ellen White said, had remedial agencies. Um, I don't know that people are eating them particularly for their remedial agencies today. Um, eggs, some people want to brand as a health food, but the data is actually pretty clear that eggs are among the, I think Dr. Nedley mentioned this in his cancer talk, are a significant risk factor for cancer. Uh, in Adventist health study data and other data sets, pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, and other cancers increase as we increase our egg consumption. Legumes, on the other hand, are cancer protective. They lower cholesterol. They are diabetes protective. And so legumes, we actually are doing fairly well as Seventh-day Adventists when it comes to the bean family, and that's encouraging news. Nuts. Uh, this astounding insight, many of you know, in the 1990s when the Adventist Health Study, uh, the previous study, was they were looking at their data, the researchers, and they said, why do Adventists have this advantage when it comes to heart disease? What is it about the Adventist lifestyle? Is there a single dietary factor more powerful than any other in preventing heart disease? And really, it shocked them. I've talked with one of the lead researchers of that study, and it shocked the medical community because they found the most protective food in the Adventist diet, if you look at a single food, was nut consumption. Now, Dr. Esselstyn hasn't caught up with this yet. He doesn't want his patients to eat nuts, and they don't really make a big point of that in the Forks Over Knives uh, uh, video. So um, they don't really mention it. But the point is that nuts are one of the health-giving agents in the Adventist diet. Can you eat too many of them? Yes. But um, this is something positive. Water. Look at this. I mean, this is just looking at four or more glasses a day. I mean, that's not really even a minimum. Even in the Adventist health study, um, they, they find more profound benefits over this level of drinking water. And you can see many of us still aren't there. Coffee. Alcohol. There's still people using coffee and alcohol in the Adventist church. Can I tell you something? Because some of you may be in that category. Are you aware of when God gave the comprehensive health reform vision to Ellen White? Do you know the year? 1863. 1863. Are you aware, though, before that, God pointed out the dangers of coffee and alcohol? Before that. We have gone backwards. Some of our most educated Adventists are reading the secular scientists more than they are the inspired council, and they're adding a little bit of wine for their health. April 2011, this year, British Medical Journal, convincing data. More, they're saying, look, it, if you want to live a long time, don't drink any alcohol. There is no safe level of alcohol for cancer risk. Okay? They're saying even if there may be some heart benefits in some people, and those are only people that are not eating enough fruits and vegetables, just 
letting you know what the literature shows. Eat plenty of fruits and vegetables. Alcohol doesn't lower your heart disease risk at all, but it definitely increases your risk of cancer. There's all this data out there. It's just confirming the Adventist lifestyle. And if you look at the data, even though the secular press says we're not drinking, says we don't use caffeine, we're doing differently. How well are we doing with exercise? I mean, it's not a pretty picture. Look at this. There's like half of our members less than once a week. Exercise. Do you know how much exercise you have to do to get measurable physiologic benefit? you have any idea? I've, I've researched this in the literature. The, the shortest exercise study I could find with measurable physical benefits is six minutes. Now, maybe someone out there has looked at less. What I'm telling you is even if you just do six minutes of exercise, you're helping yourself. So don't say you don't have enough time to exercise. I'm not saying six minutes is adequate, but it's better than no minutes. Hours of sleep. One of the reasons the Adventist, uh, the comprehensive health reform vision was given in 1863, our members were overworking. Our leaders were overworking. They were dying early. Sleep is a huge risk factor for coronary artery disease, for cancer, for diabetes, for inflammation. If you have arthritis, if you don't sleep enough, your arthritis will be worse the next day. It raises levels of inflammatory compounds in the blood. We need adequate sleep. I know you're watching 3ABN, Hope Channel, LLBN and all, but, you know, listen. Get outside and exercise. You got the message. Even some of us are still struggling with tobacco. The Lord has help for you. What about us as Seventh-day Adventists? The Lord's given us an amazing opportunity to speak to the world today, to answer the questions of secularists. In some ways, we've responded, but I want to challenge each one of you that while you're here, among other things, be asking the Lord, what is he calling you to do in your life? You may be looking at big issues, but there may be something small he's been convicting you about. It may go no further than your table. If you follow the little things that God shows you, that will empower your witness in ways that you will not believe. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this subject is so broad and we're at such a critical time in earth's history. You've called us as a Seventh-day Adventist church to give these three angels messages. The messages speak about a God who is a God of order, a God of law, that there is a judgment We've looked at the health message. It, speak to us, it speaks to us about a God of law and a God of justice. But those same messages speak about an everlasting gospel, everlasting good news, that you're a God who loves us right where we're, where we're at. And uh, you offer to each one of us the gift of salvation in Jesus, and you offer us the privilege of sharing that with others. Some will never listen, though, first of all because their minds are too clouded by their unhealthy lifestyle practices. Others won't listen because they haven't seen demonstrated in the lives of Christians the loving ministry of Jesus. And Father, what you've been helping us to see and sense again today is that we're at a critical time where you're calling on me and each one of us to look at our lifestyle. Are we really surrendered to you in these small areas of life? They may seem insignificant, but you want to empower our witness. You want to bring it to a higher level. Father, we're also praying about what you want us to do in our churches, in our families, to extend this message. You've called us to wake up. We pray that you'd help us do that. We thank you for your gracious invitations. We thank you most of all that every one of your biddings is an enabling. You never call us to do anything unless you're fully committed to accomplish it in our lives. We rejoice in that today. In Jesus' name, amen.
This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.